Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.ae. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. The way that you vote in this poll is by raising your hand, so if that's too strenuous, um, we might have to have a chat later. Um, but the, the, we're going to see what sort of ideas we have as a church, what opinions we sort of have. So first one is the really deep and personal one, Ford versus Holden. So hands up if you go for Ford. Hey, hey. hands up for Holden. Sure. <laughs> hands up if you don't care. Yeah, Okay. It's the same as the last service. Okay, um, Coke versus Pepsi. Hands up for Coke. Hands up for Pepsi. Hands up if you don't care. Yeah, same as the last service. Okay, um, cats versus dogs. Hands up for cats. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's pretty sparse. Hands up for dogs. <laughs> oh, wow. Hands up if you're allergic. <laughs> okay, um, holiday location. Beach or mountains. Hands up for beach. Oh, yeah, yep. Hands up for mountains. Ooh. Hands up if you don't get holidays. Yeah, well, yeah we'll chat after this service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're working too hard. Okay. As you can see, as a church, we have different ideas, different interests, different things that, 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 that we get passionate about or impartial like the cars when we don't care. Yeah, there's, there's some things that, that we are really quite divided on. You know, the ideas of cats versus dogs is you want to see them fighting each other rather than you know, caring. Yeah, there's things that, that we would be divided on, yet today we sit here in the, the auditorium or we're sitting watching online because we are united by Jesus Christ. We're united by who he is. We're united by his good news message, which is the gospel means good news. We're united by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, even, even in that, there can be some diversity. For example, some may be here today because you come to church or you watch online every single Sunday because God is worthy of being worshipped. You come because of who he is, not because of what you get out of it, not because of what you feel, not because of anything else other than God is God and worthy to be praised and worshipped. Therefore, you're here today. For others, you, you study scripture and you read your Bible, but there's something about doing that in, in the body of Christ, in corporate worship. There's something about coming together and opening up your Bible with others that just works better than, than when you're at home something about being sort of fed in this space that, that works better. For some, it's like, I, try, I listen to music all the time, but there's something about being in church in this corporate worship when we lift our voices together. It's awesome. I don't know if you noticed that today, like when we started at the start of the service, it wasn't very loud, and by the second song, it got louder. It may be partly because the band was warming up and partly because we're all late today and we sort of started trickling. By the, by the last song, man, we're going to be good. But you notice that coming together and raising our voices together, is, there's power in that. For some, you're here either online or in the building because you're on this journey and you've seen that life without God has some question marks, has some things that don't fit all that well. But when you, you add Jesus into the mix... There's something about this community. 
There's something about this, this Jesus fellow, there's something about this way of life that just resonates more. We are here today because we are united around the gospel. There can be diversity in that, and the gospel's big enough for that, but the thing that unites us is Jesus Christ and his message. Today we start a brand new series, and this is sort of the introduction message for the series. The series is about one faith. It fits in with our vision series of one story, one faith, and one hope. And today we're looking at how the early church had one faith, and the one faith, the gospel in Jesus, the one message, the one focus, was the thing that united them. And when they were united around the gospel, the church spread. And what's spreading? The good news is spreading. Church spreading is a good thing. And so when they were united, good things happened. But when they were divided, when there was tension and it divided them, the church stopped growing. And so this series, we look at a guy called Paul who writes letters to these churches. And each of the churches had things going on. Some were really big tensions, tearing them apart. Others were sort of guidelines of be careful, otherwise this will separate you. And a divided church isn't a church that's growing. A divided church is is a church that's causing harm. And, And he writes these letters to say, hey, the gospel is the answer. One faith, one focus. And so us as a church, I think it's a great reminder that we all have different opinions Ford versus Holden versus don't care. We all have different ideas, but the thing that unites us is the gospel. Let's stay united. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open up scripture today, I pray that we would be able to see that above all of our personal interests, all of our own ideas, and while they're great and they're different and you created us each as individuals, we thank you that the most important thing in our life is Jesus Christ. May we stay united around him. And as we open up scripture, I pray that you would help us to continue in this discipleship journey to elevate the gospel above all of our own desires and ideas for the sake of others. In Jesus' name, amen. To give a little bit of background, um, today as we dive into scripture, we're actually not reading some individual passages so much as doing a bit of an oversight of what's happening um, at this time period in history and how that relates a little bit to today. The idea is if we do a bit of an overview today, then tomorrow, then the rest of the series, we can go straight into it. Okay, so if you're feeling like there's not enough Bible verses to be noted down, um, there's lots and lots of them in the message, um, but we're not sort of pulling apart an actual one scripture rather than we're looking at the letters to the churches. If we were to study the letters to the churches, it would probably take about six years to do it in depth. We're going to try and do it in six weeks, so um, hang on, it's going to be fun. Uh, If you are taking notes, um, go for it. Go nuts, but if you need my sermon notes, just to get a bit of an idea, or if you miss some references, yell out. We have our study booklets to help um, for your small groups, but if you actually want to, if you feel like you're missing bits, um, I've actually got a spare set of notes sitting right on the front pew. Come and see me after the service, I'll give them to you. So what's happening at this time period? Well, let's see. We've got Old Testament, the old part of Scripture where the Jewish people, the Jewish nation are God's chosen people. And God's chosen people are, are supposed to be different from everyone else. And the reason they're supposed to be different is when you see a Jewish person, you know that they're Jewish and you know who their God is. 
And so there were, there were three distinct things that they had to do. One was circumcision, the other one was the way they ate, and the other one was the Sabbath. And so it was all around your, your habits, your identity, your practices, the way that you got even, even the way you ate, your, your, the communal times in those days were around food. So even the way people ate pointed to, to Yahweh. Everything they did pointed to God. And so you could tell a Jewish person just by watching them, seeing them, and know who their God was. Now, a Jewish nation followed this practice for ages. And the reason they did the practice wasn't so much because of the legalistic A plus B equals C. It was more that, I want to see your heart. God would often say, look at your heart. If you're sorry for doing something wrong, there's a system in place for you to show me that you're sorry, which involved a sacrifice. Now, God didn't want to kill animals. He made them. In Eden, when everything was perfect, there's no death. You know, he didn't want them to die, but there's a consequence, and that can be substituted to show your heart. We, we see um, David wrestling with this with God, saying, hey, um, Psalm 53, search my heart, God. I ask for whatever you want. I'm the king. You want a 1,000 cows? Here's a 1,000 cows. I can give you that stuff, but it means nothing to me because I'm the king. I own it all. But search my heart and see that I'm sorry for the things that, I, that I've done. And God does and sees that he's sorry and forgives him. So we see that there's practices based on God's desire to see the person's heart. Old Testament. Jesus comes along and he becomes the sacrifice for us. Jesus dies on a cross for you and for me, becomes the sacrifice, but then also raises from the dead. So now we're worshipping not a dead God, but an alive God. Now, this incredible message of a God that loves you so much, that he wants to take the thing that separates us onto himself through Jesus so, so that we can be forgiven is such a, a life-giving and an appealing invitation to the early church that all different religions at the time start to follow Jesus, start to follow this, this gospel, this good news of, of a, a way of having a God that loves them and wants relationship with them and they don't have to pay for it because it was already paid for by Jesus. And so this church starts to spread. God sends his Holy Spirit which starts speaking in and through the, the early members of the church and, and it's taken off. Now, there's opposition, though, because this Old Testament group, this Jewish nation are saying, hey, but these new Christians aren't following these three rules, circumcision, food, and Sabbath. What's going on? You've got to do that, don't you, to be God's chosen people. There's a, there's a confusion of deeds. You need to be saved by the things you do versus being saved by Jesus. And there's this tension that's in the church. And so there's this guy persecuting, which means you know, killing people or getting them locked up for being Christians. And he's, he's doing a pretty good job at it. And we see that in the book of Acts, where a lot of these churches are all planted, we see that in the book of Acts that this guy called Saul kills one of these incredible church leaders that, that's planting churches and doing good stuff. And everybody then scatters. And the church starts to go... And this guy, Saul, that's persecuting the Christians, has his own encounter with Jesus. So Jesus has died, buried, resurrected, gone to heaven, and then appears, because he's not dead, he's alive, to this opposition of the church, with this blinding light, and Saul's life is totally transformed, and he's renamed Paul. Paul then goes and plants churches all over the place. 
And the letters that we have today are these letters to the churches that he plants. Everyone keeping up? Just summarised most of the Bible in (laughs) five minutes. Um, So if you missed a bit, just go back and read half the Bible, you'll catch up. (laughs) So Paul then decides, hey, I need to be smart. I need to have a strategy for the gospel. I'm just not going to just walk around and I'm telling everybody where I go, but but I need to be smart about where I go to share the gospel. And so Paul sets off on three missionary journeys and on the fourth journey, it wasn't so much an intentional missional journey, but Paul was Paul wherever he went. He was a Christian no matter what. And the fourth journey was when he went to Rome. But three journeys he had planned out, three intentional journeys where he either went where God's spirit led him or he wanted to go somewhere. And a lot of the places he went to, he would stay for a certain period of time because he wanted to build the church. And so I'll do my best at explaining what looks like a giant piece of spaghetti um, on this map because these these are his journeys. But, But if you start... In this green section on the right-hand side, you see up at the very top of this green section on the, the right-hand middle side, you see Antioch. And the first sort of church was sort of birthed at Antioch. There's a couple of places called Antioch, but this is the, the main one where the church is birthed. And if we followed Paul's second journey, so if you can see the colours there, it's the orange colour, you see it sort of heads up and through, through the, the middle. We end up up the top, and then on the, the very top of his journey, there's this little hump, so a little lump on the top, it says Philippi, and that becomes the church in Philippians, the church in Philippi, um, which is one of the books, one of the letters, and then sort of goes down and we see that there's Thessalonica, we go down a bit further, we see Corinth and Athens, and then we, we head across the sea, um, and we, we end up in Ephesus, and we see the church in Ephesus did really well, because there's other churches that we, we see that are in Scripture that we believe sort of spread out from Ephesus, churches that you read in Revelations like Laodicea. And, and these churches, because churches, when you spread the gospel, the gospel isn't passive, it's active, and the gospel creates the gospel, and as you plant a church, people get passionate about Jesus, and they want to share Jesus with others, and these churches are making churches, and they start spreading and spreading and spreading, and then from... From Ephesus, we see it's granted to Patea, and then all the way back to Jerusalem, and then heads up back to Antioch. And we see these missional trips were designed intentionally to spread the good news of Jesus. And so, so Paul gets to a place like Corinth, a harbour city, a, a place where there's lots of religion because sailors were at sea for a long time. And when he stops there, he stays there for a year and a half to make sure he gets it right. Other places, uh, like, like um, Ephesus, he's there for three years because in, in this space, he, he's wanting to set up something well and he spends such a good time setting it up that it starts to spread and sets up other churches on its own. We see there's incredible power in what Paul's doing. You see, at the same time, God had used... What man made for evil, God can use for good. God used Rome to actually help spread the gospel. Rome is the superpower at the time. And Rome is, it has all its gods and all its human focus. You think of the, the um, Roman sort of uh, Colosseum and all the things that Rome did to, I guess, look at humanist um, triumphs and what pe- man could do. And Rome's got this tension of man-made worship, worship of what people can do, but also the, the Roman gods influence a little bit with the Greek and it gets all a bit confusing in there. And, and so, but they're the superpower. 
Also in this season of Rome is corruption, systemic corruption from the top down, from Caesar all the way down to the tax collectors and everything in between. There is all kinds of corruption. And so when something simple like a gospel of Jesus Christ, where you don't have to work your way into heaven, it's a gift from God through Jesus, if you accept it. It's just so attractive in a season of corruption. And just so happened that Rome also may have made a few roads which may have helped with the spread of the gospel. So next week we, we open up the, the first sort of teaching message in Scripture, like pure Scripture, when we look at the, the book of Romans. And we see where this all begins. Now what's happened at this time in Romans is that, that the, the church has started to be planted and it's doing really well. Now, Rome is trying to stop this, to say, hey, we don't want this. We, we're, you're following a different set of rules and different religion, and it's just starting to combat our comfort zone here. So what we'll do is we know Jesus was a Jew, and there's Jewish Christians. Remember, the Jewish Christians had, they believed in Jesus, but they also had those three legalistic practices that they're still struggling with, circumcision, sex, and um, food, and and Sabbath, and sex comes into Corinthians. Um, and they've got these things that they're, they're hanging on to. And so what Rome th- thinks they'll do is, what we'll do is we'll get rid of the Jews, and that'll squash this Christian movement, this, these followers of Jesus. And so we see in Acts chapter 18, the, the last part, um, that, that Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. And for about five years, there's no Jews in Rome anymore. For this season of about five years, all that is left is the Roman Christians. Now, they didn't grow up with the, the Old Testament. They just know Jesus. And so there's this, this church that is growing around by grace and forgiveness and love that is found in Jesus. This good news message of Jesus Christ is taking off. Five years later, what happens is the Jews come back into Rome and they go, hang on, yes, you're Christians, but you're not doing these three things that are so important to Jewish faith. And what starts to happen is there's this divide that's taking place in the church in Romans. And so Paul writes, writes this letter to say, hey, yes, there's, there's some practices, but you know what? The gospel is the thing that wins out. The gospel is the most important thing you need to be focusing on. And Paul uses this idea of God's righteousness to combat the issue of legalism and, and the gospel of grace. You see, when sometimes when... When practice doesn't work, you've got to go to the principle. So when the practice doesn't work, you've got to go to the principle. So there's an issue in the practice of faith. What's the principle? Well, God's righteousness is the principle. Now, what God's righteousness means, and this isn't going to be comprehensive, but for the sake of just giving us a a taste of it for this series, is his righteousness, firstly, the easy part is it's right living. God is righteous, therefore what he says we should do is right. It's correct. It's what we should be doing, right living. If God sets some commandments up, you know, don't steal, well, that's a good thing not to steal. Like, it's right, okay? Um, but we do mess up, don't we? So God's judgments are just. If we've done something wrong, then there's a consequence. Um, and, but the judgment is just. You know, you go to fill out a form, some paperwork somewhere and you, you fill it out and by habit you put your pen, the pen in your pocket even though it was theirs but you didn't realise and you walk out, you, you've stolen the pen. Ah, Ten years in you know, Like the, the, 
the judgment fits the crime. You, you go back and say, hey, I'm sorry, <laughs> stole your pen. You give it back to him. You know, like, ta-da. Yeah, um, like, the, the, his judgments are just. And the other part of God's righteousness is that his promises are, are true. What he said would happen did happen, and what will happen will happen. When God makes a promise, it's true. And so all of a sudden, this principle of God's righteousness saying, hey, God wants us to have a relationship with us. He wants to make a way for us. It doesn't matter if it's a sacrificial system in the Old Testament, if it's Jesus that died on the cross and we're saved by grace, God has made a way. The principle is that God wants a relationship with us and he made a way. The practice wasn't working, elevated to the principle, there is God. He said he would make a way, he did make a way, and he will make a way. And and there's right living. Yes, there's ways that we should be living that will stop us from having to to have some judgment in this earth and also the second, in the second life. But his judgments are just. And even though the wages of sin and death, he sent his son. Therefore, why are you doing the practices? You see, this gospel of Jesus unites the church in Rome. And he has to have a united church in Rome because through the church in Rome, the gospel will be able to spread to all of Rome and Judea and the ends of the earth, as we read in Acts. We then get to week three, and we look at the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth, as we mentioned, is a harbour church, and, and sorry, a harbour city, and as this harbour city, there's people coming and going all the time. And so because of that, there's all kinds of religious things. There's, there's temples to Greek gods, there's temples to Roman gods, there's temples to, to like Christian church and Jewish, and it's, all, it's just pretty messy. But on top of that, because there's sailors that go all over the place and are away from their wives for long, you know, long periods of time, there's all signs of sexual corruption happening and sexual immorality happening in the church in Corinth. There's brothels, there's temple prostitutes, and even in the, the, the Christian church, there are temple... Like, there's some really bad stuff happening in Corinth. So Paul writes some pretty firm words to address some pretty firm issues. And, and the, the book of 1 Corinthians, church in Corinth, Corinthians is broken into five areas of division that are facing the church. The first one is actually division itself, which comes out of Rome, which is this idea of legalistic practice, of circumcision, food, and Sabbath, and how that is dividing the the Jewish Messianic Christians and the Protestants. So Protestant, chances are, if you're not a Jew, you're like me, you're a Protestant, so the Protestant church. And there's this division is happening just between their core beliefs and practices. The second one is around sexuality and sexual immorality um, and how that is at play and how that's corrupting their view of church and life and all kinds of stuff. It gets pretty complicated in that one. Then they start talking about food, kosher and non-kosher foods. Then the gathering church in itself because of this corruption that's happening in these other areas of life and faith are starting to impact the body of Christ and all sorts of terrible things are happening in their gathering. So when he speaks harshly around communion, it's because other stuff was happening around communion that was really bad. So it's pretty harsh words about making sure you're right before you take communion because of what's happening happening in the context and then starts talking about resurrection and what happens after life and what that means to your body in this life and after and all these five areas are answered with the same answer 
Paul just keeps saying, do you know what? These are divisive things. These are complicated things. But the answer is simple. It's just elevate the gospel higher than them. Because when the gospel is right, everything else falls into line. If you elevate Jesus to his rightful place in your life, everything else will fall into place. It's priorities, it's focus, it's simplicity, it's beauty. And yes, some decisions need to be made, but you need to elevate the gospel to unify God's church. That's week three. Week four, we get to the church in Galatia. And Galatia isn't so much a, a city, or a, but it's more like a state, like a, a location, an area. And in the church of Galatia, Paul, you can see that he deeply cares for these churches that he's planted. He deeply cares for these people. Because in Galatia, he's both totally upset and heartbroken and equally angry. Because the church in Galatia was doing so well. They had the purity of the gospel and they're on fire for Jesus. This whole region is just following Jesus and, and living in freedom and sharing this message of hope with others. But then this group of Messianic Jews come in with, hey, you're not circumcised. Hey, you've got to do these practices. Oh, you've got to do these things. And Paul's like, no, you're going back to Old Testament. This is a new covenant, a new agreement between God and you. It's actually not through your, your works. It's through grace that you are saved. It's not about what you do. It's about who Jesus is that saves you. And he sort of goes on to say, but when you've got Jesus' grace, then you do other things. But it's, the, it's not the things that save you. It's Jesus. And, and we see that this, this letter... He says the simplicity of the gospel is if you try and add anything to the gospel or subtract anything to the simplicity of the gospel, it's actually no gospel at all. And by simplifying this message of hope, this message of acceptance, this message of freedom, this message of peace, this message of, of love, of a God that desires to be with us, we see that the birth of the first multi-ethnic church. All different regions, all different races, all different skin colours, all different interests, all different cultures, all together in one space. Does that mean they let go of their heritage? No. Does that mean that they, they dress differently? No. Does that mean that they do things? No. All it means is the gospel is elevated above all things. And they are united as a, a multicultural church, a multi-ethnic hub centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the, the passage in Acts that says to the ends of the earth is fulfilled as the church takes off. Week five, we see the church in Colossae. And... And the church in Colossae, is, or Colossians in the, the letter, is actually doing really well. And what Paul writes is not so much a, a, a letter to say, hey, these are the things that divide. It's actually saying, hey, you're doing really well. Good job, church. Well done. But what happens when you're on fire for God and good things are happening? Of course there's going to be persecution. Of course there's going to be, you're going to be under attack. Satan doesn't want things to be going well. And so what Paul writes is like, you're doing a good job, but hey, it's really important that you know some of these boundaries. The boundaries are going to be there to help you. Boundaries are a good thing. If you were to play, um, say, like, footy, AFL, because that's the only footy, um, if you were to say, I've got two 
groups of people and we're going to play a game of footy, okay? We're going to play it. It's going to be great. We're going to chuck them on the field and then they're going to play the game. That's awesome. The only thing is they have no idea what the rules are. And you say, go. They're like, the ball's not even round. Do I... Yeah. yeah what, what do you do? You don't know the rules. Therefore, how can you win the game? You might be you know, running, you know, throwing the ball through the wrong hoop, goal, you know, cricket bat. You're not, you just don't know the rules, right? You need boundaries. You need rules so that you know how to play. And so essentially what Paul writes in this is that, hey, you're doing the right thing. You're doing a good job. Good job. But you need to, to make sure these are the boundaries. This is how to live. Set your mind on earthly things, not on earthly things. Do these things, not these things. These are the boundaries to stay in to make sure that you, you remain united for the sake of the gospel and you're not torn apart. We then finish in the, work, in the, in the book of Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica. And, and in Thessalonica, we see that there's a, there's a little bit of a distraction in there. There's a little bit of a, a thing that is... Um, starting to, I guess, become elevated above the place of the gospel. And, and the thing that's being, um, they're wrestling with is this idea of end times and what happens after death. Uh, the, the, the formal word or theological word is eschatology. Um, it's big, don't ask me to spell it. But this, this idea of eschatology is sort of the study of end times or the study of death or the study of you know, the afterlife. And, and this, it's pretty broad, but... But this, this thing was starting to like tear them apart because, well, do we get a new body and a new life? Does that mean what's, what's the deal with this body? Can we do whatever we want with it? Is it important? Is there a, you know, all these things that, that are quite fascinating to talk about, but they became more elevated than the gospel. And Paul writes to sort of put it in its place to say, this is the gospel, focus on the gospel, work on the gospel. But then he actually goes next step and says, do you know what? If you want to see somebody that's living out the gospel, this is what you look for. Now, now, the beauty of the progression of Scripture and why it's put into place is where did we start? We started way back with, do you know what? It's not about what you do that saves you. It's about who Jesus is. We've all messed up. But Jesus comes and he saves us through, through his sacrifice and his grace and his mercy and his love. Therefore, if you embrace his message, you will live a different way. And Thessalonians talks about what to look like in how you live. It's not how you live that saves you. Jesus saves. But because Jesus saves, then it is evident in how we live. And, and the way that you live is you'll see people showing God's grace and God's kindness and God's mercy and God's peace. And, and the way that we live will unite the church through the gospel and not divide. What do we end with and what's our challenge for today? First, it's good to sit down, isn't it? <laughs> Paul was strategic. Each and every day, he was strategic with what he did. didn't matter if he was on his fourth trip to Rome and there was a shipwreck. He used that moment for the gospel, didn't he? For those that know the scripture and the story. 
But when he had a choice, he would spend time in places of strategy to share the gospel, to build people up, to plant God's church. Paul cared deeply for others, which is just so evident in the letters to the church and the way that he writes them. His frustration of, look at the letters that I'm writing to you. (laughs) Big, bold things, you know. All emojis with angry faces in in scriptural days. You know, it's like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, he's so passionate about the church and the people, so heartbroken. Other times it's like, oh, I'm so joyed, I can't wait to see you. Oh, I just love you guys so much. Oh, he's a passionate guy. And he loved others. Paul's answer to division at any given point was always the same. It was the gospel. It was the gospel. It was the beauty of the gospel. It was centering the people's thoughts around the gospel. It was elevating the place of the gospel. And to Paul, the gospel is not something that's passive. The gospel is something that is lived out and done and active. And so for us this morning, I wonder if if we can be strategic in the way that we live our life. Are we being strategic as we, we come together as God's church to share what God has done with us and through us with those around us and in sharing the gospel with them? How are we being loving towards one another? And what does it look like to be gospel-centered every single day, raising the gospel above the other things that can divide? And how can we be active in what God has done in our lives to be able to share it with others? I want to be like really real with you in this series because while the scripture is, is enough on its own, I think this is so timely for us as the church, and I'm talking about the, the wider church, in that... I've read posts online where people have aligned a political view with Christianity that hasn't agreed with something that maybe I've agreed with. I'm like, oh. Now, you know, we never talk politics because the gospel will outweigh and outlast any politics that we'll ever preach. That's why we don't preach it. We preach Jesus Christ, not the gospel. I've seen people have opinion on all sorts of things from sport to music to, to sexuality, and they've put Jesus' name or a Bible verse next to some of those things, and some I agree with and some I don't. The hard part is if we get, if we've got to be careful because that has the chance to divide us. What this series shows is the power of the gospel, where it's okay to have an opinion. And when it comes to the election that's coming up, do your research, have an opinion. Have a strong opinion, but love those that have a different opinion to yours and elevate the gospel above it all. This series has incredible power to share the gospel with others. And I don't feel like there's a division within our church. I'm not, this series is not about that. I think it's just an awesome reminder that the gospel is the most important thing, that we put our one faith in the one that matters the most. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for the power of the gospel that always has and always will be the authority in your church. We thank you that your church is centered around Jesus Christ. It's not centered around our ideas. It's not set around human thoughts or abilities, but it's set around the master plan of the creator of the universe. We thank you for its simplicity. We thank you for its hope. We thank you for its foundation. And Lord, I pray that we would build upon it each and every day as we become the men and women that you've called us to be. 
God, I pray that we would be united in you, that we would be united in our passion for the gospel and its spread in your people. God, I pray that you'd be with us as we continue to worship today so that you may take your rightful place once again in our lives as we center ourselves and your church around Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.